This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. My main Bible passage for today's sermon is taken from 2 Samuel 24. Before Pastor Andrew comes to bring us the sermon, let me invite our sister Faith to read the passage for us. Today's passage is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 24. It is the last uh, chapter of 2 Samuel. You can follow along your Bibles or read along on the screen in front of you. Verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and enroll the fighting men, so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king want to do such a thing? The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. After crossing the Jordan, they camped near Aroa, south of the town in the gorge and then went through Gad and on to Jezer. They went to Gilead and the region, region of Tatim Hotchai, and on to Danjaan and around toward Sidon. Then they went toward the fortress of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and Canaanites. Finally, they went on to Beersheba in the Negev of Judah. After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, 500,000. David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, Take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to get the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come on you three years of famine in your land? Or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you? Or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great but do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand! 
the angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Araunah, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I have sinned. I, the shepherd, have done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall on me and my family. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Araunah looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Araunah said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Araunah said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Araunah gives all this to the king. Araunah also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Araunah, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, that the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. This is the word of the Lord. I'll pass the time now to Pastor Andrew. Let's bow heads and go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly ask that you help us to take to heart your word, to know you as you truly are, and to know the forgiveness that you bring in Jesus. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, over many years as a pastor, uh, I've sort of spoken to many people who are in serious, committed relationships. They may be in marriage relationships, they may be boyfriend, girlfriend relationships. Now, one of the saddest things that I experience is when one party totally misunderstands what is happening in the relationship. They can't hear the other person's unhappiness or their concerns or their sadness, and they're oblivious to their partner's unmet needs, expectations, and desires in the relationship. It's almost as if they're living in their own delusion, right? They're living in their own dream world. They're living in denial. It's really sad because the relationship they think is fine is actually on the verge of a breakdown. The outcome is really very tragic where the marriage ends in divorce or the relationship is broken off. And they'll say things like, oh, I didn't see it coming, right? I didn't know things were so bad. Now what's even more sad is when people are deluded in their relationship with God. They think that their relationship with God is really fantastic. They say things like, I feel really close to God. But really, they're living in the same sort of delusion, the same denial, the same dream world. And that's even worse, right? Because the outcome is a broken relationship with God and eternity looking outside into the heaven of God. I wonder whether that's you or it could even be me, right? Are we living in a danger of 
having a delusion in our relationship with God. And that's why today we really have to listen really carefully to God's word. It begins, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Now, this first verse is really interesting because it tells us that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He was angry with Israel, but it doesn't tell us why. Why is God angry with Israel? We don't really know. We're not told. There's lots of speculation. If you read the commentaries, maybe it's because God's people had chosen other kings, like Absalom, maybe Sherba, and they had deserted God's anointed King David. We just don't know. But the focus, I think, of this first verse is this word here, again, again. I think this word, again, doesn't just refer back to, to Samuel, but it refers to the whole history of God's people. Because as we've been going through the timeline, right, the biblical timeline of God's people, again and again, God's people sin, and again and again, God is angry with His people. So right from the very beginning of God's creation, the people of, in the Exodus, the people of God sin, God's angry. When they entered into the promised land, they sinned again and God was angry with them. When they finished their conquest and they settled the land again, they sinned and God was angry. In the period of the judges, they sinned and God was angry. At the beginning of the monarchy in 1 and 2 Samuel again, they sinned and God was angry. And finally here, right at the very last chapter of the book of 2 Samuel, God is angry again. But what does God do? It says... Oh, sorry. So if you look at the Old Testament, for those of you who still look at the hard copy versions, right from the very beginning then, from Exodus all the way down to 2 Samuel, God's people sin and God is angry with them. So what does God do then? Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he incited David against them, saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Now, this is really quite puzzling, right? It's one of the difficult passages in the Bible. God is angry against Israel, but what does he do? He doesn't immediately punish Israel, but he incites the king, David, against them by taking a census. And that throws up all sorts of questions. If you look at the other translations of the Bible, it says God incited David against Israel. The Holman Christian Bible, it says, God stirred up David against Israel. In the NKJV, it says, he moved David against them. So how are we to understand what's happening? Well, I think what's happening here is God's sovereignty and control is moving, inciting, and stirring up David to do the census. But at the same time, as we read through the passage, David, in his human responsibility, chooses as well to do the census. So I remember this wonderful illustration that someone once said. It's like an airplane, right? An airplane needs two wings to fly. You never see a one-wing airplane. I guess you do, but normal airplane that you fly always has two wings. In a sense, divine sovereignty and human responsibility are like the two wings of an airplane. And as Christians, we believe in both. We affirm both, right? We affirm divine sovereignty and human responsibility. That's what we see here. God incites, stirs up, and moves David to do the census. But David himself, in his human responsibility, decides, chooses, and determines to do the census. Now, this census is sin, but we're not sure why it's sinful. The census is just counting, 
That's what census is. It's just counting at a big level. You count the population of a nation, and people in the past used to do so. You count it for taxation purposes. You, ta- you, know, you count people for military purposes. You could do it for pride. Now, we don't know why this census was so sinful. But all we know is that for Joab and the military commanders, the people of the time and that place, they saw it immediately as something that instinctively, as a knee-jerk reaction, was wrong, right? So Joab replied to the king, May the Lord multiply the troop a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why? Why does my lord the king want to do such a thing? Now, obviously in those days, they didn't have like uh, emojis, right? But you can sort of imagine this is like the SMH, the shake the head moment for Joab and the military commanders, right? Why, why, David, would you want to do a census? It just doesn't make sense. And so in many ways, it's like a senseless census. Like, it doesn't make sense to Joab and the military commanders to do so. And after David completes the census, David himself recognizes just how sinful it is. I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. Now, God is trying to teach us something here in this last chapter. Because what we're seeing here is that David sins again, just like the people sinned again. See, as we've been looking through the whole book of 1 and 2 Samuel, we saw that 1 and 2 Samuel is an answer to the problem or the question Judges, right? In the last verse of Judges, it says, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So what God, people needed was a leader to bring them back to God. And so we saw in 1 and 2 Samuel, this camel-shaped narrative flow, right? of different leaders coming up and down, right? The God dishonoring priest Eli, who's a disappointment, then the faithful judge Samuel, then the faithless King Saul, and then finally David, the man after God's heart. But we also saw that in spite of how successful, good, and godly David was, over the last few chapters, he sins again and again and again. And just as we see now in this very last chapter, go to Samuel, he sins again. Together with all the sins that David has already committed, he adds to it this senseless census. So what we see at the very end here is that everyone is sinning, right? The people are sinning all the way from Exodus to Samuel. The leaders of God's people from Judges all the way to Samuel again as well are sinning. So both David, the leader, and God's people Israel are sinning. Now, how do we understand this? What's the lesson for us here then? Well, I think the lesson for us here is this doctrine that we ascribe to or firm called total depravity. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all totally depraved in every way and we are the worst sinners, like we're all like Hitlers. But what it really means in systematic theology is that all of us in our very nature is sinful. At the very core, right, we are all sinful. Because secular thinking would say to us, we are actually good people who sometimes do bad things, right? 
But biblical, biblical teaching teaches us that we are actually bad people who at the very core are inclined to do bad things all the time. It's really interesting because over the last few months, I've been talking to a few people and I realized as I was preparing the sermon that they asked me the same question. They asked me, why do I struggle with this sin again? It's like they asked me things like, oh, now that I'm married, why do I still struggle with lust? Or if I'm married, why do I still struggle with porn? Or if I've been living this Christian life for so long, why do I struggle with this particular sin? It's because of what we're reading here in 2 Samuel chapter 24, right? Total depravity. All of us are not good people, but sin actually has its roots deep into every aspect of us, and we are all sinful before God. And that's what we need to acknowledge, right, from this very, very beginning of today's passage. Before we can even start to have a relationship with God, we need to understand the state of our relationship with God. We are all totally depraved. We are sinful through and through, right to the very core. We are no better than Israel, and we're no better than David. The passage goes on. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord came to get the prophet David's here. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out. And verse 15, So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. Now this is a fulfillment of verse 1. Because of the sin again of God's people, and because of the sin of the census of David, God brings judgment. God's people, and it's a severe judgment, right? 70,000 people died. In Singapore, we had COVID, only 2,000 people died. So 70,000 people is a big deal, right? Now, what is the point that we're trying to see here? In spite of the fact that David asked for forgiveness, in spite of the fact that David says, I've sinned greatly and confesses his sin, judgment still comes. That's the second thing that we see here. The reality of the total depravity of Israel's sin and God's King David, it must lead to an angry God's justice. It cannot be that God just sweeps it under the carpet. Judgment must come and the judgment is based on a just God's justice. And he's angry. Now we don't like to hear about an angry God. In fact, just last week, I was meeting out with someone, uh, never met him before, a total stranger, and he said to me, you know, I prefer the old school hell, fire, and brimstone preaching about judgment. And he says, but you know, that's not very popular anymore. I don't hear it in my church. And I think that's true. Right? We, we hear very little preaching nowadays about God as an angry God who's angry about our sin. Now, part of the reason is probably because we live in a consumer culture. We're kind of taught from a young age to be consumers. Consumers of retailers, consumers of goods, consumers of merchants. 
But we can easily now become consumers at church, right? When we come to church thinking like consumers, and so we come as consumers wanting messages which make us feel good about ourselves, about our personal fulfillment, about being happy, to be entertained, to teach us about things that make us feel good. So who wants to hear about angry, just God? It's just such a turn-off, right? Who wants to hear about total depravity? Nobody wants to hear about that. In fact, preaching today about God's anger, an angry God who demands justice is outdated and actually is a bit offensive to people. So the passage goes on. Now we already told that Gad the prophet had told David, go and tell David, this is what the Lord says, I'm giving you three options. The three options are three years of famine in your land, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of plague in your land. So you can see, right, there's progressively shorter and shorter periods, three years, three months, and three days. But this is the choice that David makes. David said to Gad in verse 14, I'm in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. So God sent a plague on Israel. Now you notice the choice that David makes? He chooses to fall into the hands of the Lord, the plague, for three days, because he knows the attribute of God. He let us fall into the hands of the Lord for, this fall is made with certainty, right? Because God's mercy is great. The attribute and the character of God's mercy is a great, merciful God. From what follows, we see that David's knowledge of God and his character is true. His faith in God's mercy is true. Because we see that after the 70,000 people died, from Dan to Bathsheba, so Dan is in the north all the way there in Bathsheba, the angel of the Lord stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem. Actually, there's a parallel passage to 2 Samuel 24 in 1 Chronicles 21. So the, it's actually, uh, the angel's there is even the imagery of a sword. Okay, so that's why he's carrying a sword. But when God sees that the angel with a sword is going to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel afflicting the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand. And so this happens at the outskirts of Jerusalem. So if you look topologically, where the current, or not actually, the ex-current Temple of Solomon is, overlooking the city of Jerusalem on the hill there, there was this threshing floor of Arana, and that's where the angel of the Lord was. And it is there that God said to the angel, enough, relent. And then the book of 2 Samuel ends, the sermon is over, and we end in prayer. No, right? That's not what happens, right? Because God's mercy cannot be enough, right? It's not like God says, okay, that's it. He tells the angel of the Lord, okay, down tools, put down your sword, no more plague. What happens is actually there's another seven verses where Something else happens. So what happens here is that God merely pauses 
the judgment. He presses the pause button on his remote control of destruction, right? Okay? He tells the angel, enough, stop. But the plague and the judgment has not actually been totally lifted from God's people because there's another seven verses from verse 18 to 25. And from verse 18 to 25, David is given very specific instructions of what to do. And what is he to do? He is to enact a sacrifice, right? This, this section, it, all of seven verses, is full of sacrificial language. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go and build an altar to the Lord on the treasuring floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord commanded through Gad. When Arana looked and saw the king and his officials coming towards him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, Why has the Lord, the king, come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. So Arana said to David, Let the Lord, the king, take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and the yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arana, gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, May the Lord, your God, accept you. But the king replied to Arana, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land. The plague on Israel was stopped. Now this whole section is full of sacrificial language, right? So here's the altar. So the altar was repeated over and over again. Here is the offering, okay, which is the, the oxen. And here is the sacrifice of burning. Now, it is very specific, the offering that David offered. David built an altar to the Lord there and he sacrificed burnt offerings. Now, this is in line with Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1, it actually tells us what the burnt offerings are for, the purpose and the meaning of the burnt offerings. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. See, so the whole point of the burnt offerings is to actually pay for sins with a substitute. So what David did was he would get the oxen and he would lay his hands on the oxen. And what does that mean? He would lay his hands on the oxen because in a sense he was transferring or symbolically placing the sins of himself and the nation on the oxen. It's okay. The sin moves from himself and the people onto the oxen. And then the oxen would then be sacrificed in the burnt offering to make atonement or to pay for the sins of the people. Now this is really important because then this is, means that the plague can be stopped, right? You see, it's very interesting. If you go back, notice what Arana says. He says, may the Lord your God accept you. What does he mean by that? Why does Arana say that? May the Lord your God accept you. I don't think he's, accept, he's saying accept him as a person, you know, like accept me as an individual, but he's saying accept you 
and the sacrifice, because that is what the passage in Leviticus says, right? Lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. And that's what happens here. Because when the burnt offerings are given, God accepts, in a sense, the substitutionary atonement of the oxen, and therefore the plague on the people is stopped. Now this is really, really significant, deep, profound, and important, and of great, great meaning for all of us, right? Because it shows us that God's mercy comes through the atonement which is accepted by God. You see, when you think about it, the writer of 2 Samuel could have stopped in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Right? 2 Samuel chapter 23 is about the last words of David and about David's mighty men. What a what more appropriate place to end the story of 2 Samuel and the story of David here, right? At the last words of David and at his mighty men. But you notice that the writer of 2 Samuel doesn't choose to end his book here, but instead he ends in 2 Samuel chapter 24, which actually ends with the giving of the atonement. Now this is, I think, deliberate. And it's trying to teach us something, something really, really important. It's actually trying to wrap up all that's happened before, right? Because we're not ending with the person of David. We're ending with the whole of the history of God's people sinning and sinning again, we're seeing the history of God's kings, which again sin and sin again. But all of these sins, the sins and the total depravity of his people, the total depravity of the kings, can all be paid for through the sacrifice of atonement. Now this is crucial for us because as we then look forward, we then have an answer to sin, right? We fast forward to the New Testament and we see the fulfillment of the sacrifice of atonement in the person of Jesus. You see, when we actually look at what's happening here, it's not just a story of kings and Israel and God's people sinning again and again, leading to a very depressing ending. But actually, it leads us to thanksgiving and gratitude and gratefulness. Because God is a merciful God and He provides a way out from the total depravity of our sins. Even the sins of God's people and David are paid for by Jesus on the cross. And so in 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. What encouraging words that is for us. Because what we see here is that at the cross with Jesus, 
Both the attributes of God's justice and God's mercy are fully fulfilled. See, at the cross, Jesus fully fulfills the role of the atoning sacrifice. He pays for all the sins of the world, including David and all of Israel, so that God's justice is fully met. But God's mercy is also shown on the cross because through his giving of Jesus, all our sins are paid for because of God's grace. Now, I remember the very first time that uh, I did marriage counseling. Right? I just kind of like got in the room and I didn't even know what I was doing. And I talked to this couple, this husband and the wife. And the wife was really, really unhappy uh, with the husband. And, um, and I asked her, I said, well, what is the one thing you'd really like your husband to do? And she said, I would just really like him to thank me for making dinner. And I thought, well, how hard could that be, right? Well, I can solve this problem. No, 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 I mean, how hard can marriage counseling be, right? So I turned to the husband and I said, can you just thank your wife for making dinner for you? And she, he said, no, why should I thank my wife for making dinner for me? And I think I spent like another hour trying to convince the husband to thank his wife for making him dinner. Now when I look back on that, I often reflect on this person's response, right, this husband. And I was thinking, so why couldn't he thank his wife for making him dinner? And I think it's because of his uh, pride and his ego. He just, for whatever reason, refused to thank his wife for making him dinner. I think this can be the same for many people, right? Even Christians. Because of our pride and ego and arrogance, we cannot totally appreciate just how sinful we really are. We cannot accept that we are totally depraved. But as we've seen in this passage today, if Israel and God's king, David, a man after God's heart, can sin so grievously, then we are actually no different, right? We need to admit that we are, at our very core of our being, sinful. I remember a few weeks ago, there was a person who said, I've never lied in my entire life. And this person said, if I have ever lied in my life, I will kill myself. Um, okay, that's a bit surprising to me too when the person said that, right? But essentially, this person is, not, is admitting, is actually saying that God is a liar, right? He's actually saying, I'm not totally depraved, I'm not sinful. But without recognizing your sin, your total depravity, then you cannot start to have that relationship with God. Without recognizing our total depravity, we cannot admit the rightness of God's judgment on us. Without recognizing the rightness of God's justice on us, then we will not have the faith, like David did, to call and to trust and to rely on the attribute of God's mercy for us. And if we do not rely on the attribute of God's mercy for us, then we will not have that overwhelming gratitude and thankfulness and joy and contentment and thanksgiving that comes from knowing Jesus Christ.
So I hope for all of us today, we will ask ourselves our question, how is our relationship with God? And we would see that actually we are totally depraved before God and we deserve God's justice. But thanks be to God, because He is a God of mercy and He has given us Jesus. And what a great atoning sacrifice Jesus is for us, because He has met the demands of God's justice. And it is God's grace that has come to us to cover our sins. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to really reflect on why you've spoken to us through the writer of 2 Samuel to end at chapter 24. To end with the sacrifice of atonement, to end once again with the sin of your people, once again with the sin of David. Help us to see that it is to impress upon us that we are together with your people all those thousands of years ago, totally depraved that we are fallen at the very heart of our being and that we are deserving of your justice. Dear Father, we pray that we may rest in great confidence in your mercy, in your grace towards us. And we thank you with great gratefulness and heartfelt thanks that you've given us the fulfillment of the sacrifice of atonement in the person of Jesus. And at the cross, you've given us one who fully has paid for all our sins and meets your justice. And one who in your grace has given us total forgiveness for our sins. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the sermon. And uh, we have some time for uh, reflections. And Pastor Andrew has prepared for us these two questions for us to discuss in our small groups. The first question is, what do I feel about my own sin and God's judgment? And second question is, how does today's passage strengthen my faith in God's mercy in Jesus' atoning sacrifice? Please spend a few moments to discuss with people around you, um, and maybe we'll um, finish this in about five minutes. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.